Every day, uh, we're asking people to do things. Uh, we're making a request of people. You may ask your spouse to take out the trash or to do the dishes or to schedule an oil change for the car. You might ask your siblings to bring a side or a dessert uh, to the family gathering or to stop bothering you or something like that. Uh, you might ask your kids to pick up their rooms or to feed the cat. Or maybe you want to get rid of the cat so you secretly tell them, you know, don't worry about feeding the cat. Or you might ask your neighbor to blow their grass clippings off of your cement. Like, please don't you know, shoot your mow, mow your lawn and shoot the grass clippings on your pavement. You might ask someone at work to complete a task. And we ask people to do things all the time. But sometimes we can become upset and disappointed because we ask people to do things over and over again. And then over and over again, they aren't doing the very thing that we've asked them to do. And I'm sure many of us have reached a point of frustration with somebody because we've asked them so many times to do something, um, and they just continually do not do the thing we asked them to do. And so we might determine, well, if it's going to get done, I just need to, what's the phrase? Do it myself. If it's going to get done, I just have to do it myself. And sometimes I can have this feeling, this attitude when it comes to asking God for things. God invites us to ask him for things. He invites us to make requests known to him, to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And Jesus said we don't have to use a whole bunch of words to convince God to do things for us. We don't have to use a whole bunch of words to impress God, to get to you know, kind of wrangle him into, please do this thing for me. But God already knows what we need before we even come to him. And we're told that God loves us and cares for us, and should we, so we should go to him to seek what we need. And yet I've had many requests in my life that I've given, brought to God that have gone unanswered. I've asked God to do things and they haven't been done. And so I can start thinking to myself, well, I don't have time to stop for 10 minutes and ask God to do this. If it's going to get done, I need to do it myself and I don't have 10 minutes to waste to go and ask God to do it because he's not going to do it anyway. And I don't know many of you have ever felt this way about prayer. You don't have to raise your hand. I'd assume most of you would raise your hand. Um, unless you're just more holy than I am. Um, you felt, you, man, God, what's the point of praying? You know, what's the point of this? I keep asking for things. I'm making my requests to you. I need help, and it just seems like you're not coming through. And so what's the point? Um, I might as well just do it myself and not waste the time praying to you. We've been in the series on the Holy Spirit. In the first part of our series, we were focused on becoming aware of who the Spirit is and what he does to change us. And the rest of the series, we're learning, um, okay, that's who the Spirit is. That's what he does to change us. He's been given to us for these purposes. This is what he's about. Now, how do we rely on the Spirit in our everyday lives? This is sort of the the how-tos of this series. And prayer, talking with God and listening to God, is the primary practice for relying on the Spirit. Prayer is the primary practice for relying on the Spirit. If you want to learn to rely on the Spirit in your life, you need to be praying. It's the primary practice for doing that. But if you're like me, um, prayer can be a struggle. We feel like we're too busy, and so we rarely take enough time to pray or pray at all. And in his book, I've quoted it before, uh, J. Oswald Sanders wrote in Spiritual Leadership, he said, if you want to humble anybody, ask them about their prayer life. Hey, how's prayer going for you? And that will humble anybody uh, if you ask them that. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And if I were to ask each of you whether you pray enough, I'm sure no one would answer, yeah, I, I pray enough. I've hit you know, the, the quota of what I feel would be an appropriate amount of talking to God. And prayer is vital to our relationship with God, and yet we have this, this trouble with it. And perhaps it's because we have this feeling that prayer doesn't really do anything. And so what's the point? 
And we know that we need to pray if we want to have this deep, thriving, life-transforming relationship with God. But sometimes it just feels like prayer doesn't do anything. And imagine asking your dad over and over again for something they're never going to give you. And over and over again, he says, no. Uh, you know, Hudson may ask over and over again, can I throw my food behind me on the wall? And I'm always going to be like, no. Maybe one day I'd be like, well, I mean, it could be kind of cool. Let's see what happens. But mostly, it's, that's all that request is, if you could ask, it would always be answered with no. And so it can become pretty frustrated eventually. And you could conclude if you keep asking your dad for something, he's never going to give you. Well, it's pointless to ask dad for things because he never does anything about it. He never does the thing that I ask him to do. So why bother? But that would be the wrong conclusion. The right conclusion would be, well, this is not something my dad wants me to have. And if you trusted him, you'd conclude, well, this must be not be good for me. My dad is good. He wants what's best for me. And so this must not be something my dad wants me to have. And the reason he doesn't want me to have it is because it wouldn't be good for me. Your dad has told you this is not his will for you. And so asking for something that he keeps saying no to is not asking according to his will. And now if you knew what your dad wants to give you and you asked for that, it would be an incredibly positive experience because you're asking according to his will and then he's giving it because you're asking for something that he already wants to give you. And one of the things I've found helpful the past several years is using the prayers in the Bible as a model for my own prayers. God is ultimately the author of Scripture. He's spoken it through human authors across centuries and centuries. And so if we want to pray according to God's will, according to his desires, his wants, his purposes, the things he wants to put into our lives and the things he wants to give us, the prayers in the Bible are a great place to start because if God inspired them to be written as prayers to him, then that's a great place to start for our prayers to him as well. As we saw last week in Romans 8, uh, in our weakness, we don't always know how we ought to pray. And the Spirit has given us to help us with that. The Spirit has provided help for us, not just by being put in us. That's a huge way. Um, and we need to get in tune with his voice inside of us that's praying according to God's will, and how can we get in tune with that? But he's also inspired the prayers we find in the Bible. And today we're looking at one of my favorites, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And the Apostle Paul sent this letter uh, to the city of Ephesus, to the church that was meeting there. In the first three chapters, Paul is reminding them of the good news of, hey, this is who God is, and this is what he's done, and this is how he's changed your life. Like, this is a church of people of believers, and he's writing to them and telling them, look at this amazing thing God has done in your life. He reminds them of the good news. He preaches the gospel to them, telling them, you've been adopted by the Father, you've been forgiven by Jesus, you've been marked by God as God's by the Spirit, you have a new hope, you're loved by God, you have God's power in you, you've been brought from death to life in Christ, you've been brought near to God when you were once far. And at the end of chapter 2 in verses 21 and 22, he tells them that as a community, they're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. They're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And it's all these gospel truths, but especially this one that leads Paul to pray what he does at the end of chapter 3. It's the truth that the Ephesians, as a church, as the people of God, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit that leads him to pray this prayer for them. And he starts the prayer in chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, he says, for this reason, but then he gets on this detour because uh, he says, you know, for this reason, as a you know, prisoner for Christ doing this God's job that he gave me, wait a second, I'm assuming you know God's job for me. And so he spends you know, a few verses like, let me make sure you explain what the job God has given to me. 
And it's kind of amazing what he says. My job has been to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the non-Jewish world, which, I mean, just thinking about that phrase, unsearchable riches of Christ, um, all of us, I, I'm pretty sure, aren't are Jews. Um, and so we're all Gentiles. And so Paul was like, I need to get this message, uh, this unsearchable riches of, of Christ to the non-Jewish world. And so that has all come to us. And he goes on this detour, and he gets back to the prayer in chapter 3, verse 14, with, for this reason. And after hearing all these amazing truths, I just listed them all off really quickly. Uh, these truths about who uh, the Ephesians are because of what God has done, um, and what is true of us uh, who have trusted in Christ, it's like, it kind of make you feel out of breath. It's like, wow, that's a lot. I mean, that's pretty weighty, Paul. That's pretty big, that's a pretty big view of God, that's a pretty big view of his work, and you're saying, like me, as I grind along in my life, sitting in class, or taking care of kids, or going to work, or whatever it is, uh, that was all true of me, that's kind of a lot to, to hold in our minds and in our hearts, and to let transform us, and hard to understand, much less live a life that is worthy of them. So Paul pauses to pray, he knows these truths are big, and the calling is big, and so he prays for the Ephesians. And we need this prayer too. Paul is teaching us how to get the gospel into our heads and down into our hearts and out into our lives and how we live. We need the Spirit is what this prayer teaches us and we need to pray. And so our big idea for today is this. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's kind of three parts. We'll wheel this around for you. So our big idea is this. This is kind of the summary of the prayer. Um, ask the Father for the Spirit's strength. So this is kind of the first part. Ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to do what? Ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to do what? Two things. To give, Je- uh, to give Jesus limitless trust. And the second thing is to know Jesus' limitless love. There's supposed to be a period there, but you get the point still. Uh, ask the Father uh, for the Spirit's strength to do what? To give Jesus' Jesus limitless trust and to know Jesus' limitless love. This is the, the, what Paul um, essentially asked for in this prayer, put in my own words. So ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to give Jesus limitless trust and to know Jesus' limitless love. I see lots of writing. It's four lines long, so that's pretty long. I'll just wait. Let it marinate in your minds. <laughs> Ask the Father, the Spirit's strength to give Jesus' Jesus limitless trust and to know Jesus' limitless love. Okay. And Paul, uh, there's two requests, like I said, and it all leads to one result at the end of the prayer. And so let's start with the first request in verse 14, which goes to the first part of verse uh, 17. So verses 14 and 15, we'll start there. Paul says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I was trying to think through, like, where is that? Why is that where he starts? You know, it's not just like some random line in the prayer, like, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Like, why is that where he starts? Why is that even important to this prayer? Well, it's because of this good news of who God is, how he's worked in their lives. Paul gets on his knees before God the Father, and praise. And everything that comes before this, Paul has emphasized 
God has this huge plan of salvation, this huge plan of redemption to bring everybody into his family, to, to bring everybody and give them forgiveness, to give everybody his spirit. And he says, this isn't only for the Jewish world, this is for non-Jewish world as well. And so, and it's as a display of his wisdom and his power um, to all those powers that would be in heaven, all those spiritual realities. And so he's saying, uh, God is the creator of Jews and non-Jews, of everything in heaven, of all the spiritual realities. And so Paul is praying this is the big God I'm praying to. I'm not praying just the God of the Jews. I'm praying to this big God who is the source, who is the author, who is the creator of everything. He's the savior of everyone. Everyone and everything owes its existence and origin to him. And Paul bows his knees before the Father in verse 16 asks that according to the riches of his glory, that he do something. When we come to God asking for something, we aren't begging a stingy Father to please for once, do something nice for us. Please do something kind for us. I know you're stingy. I know you don't usually do good things, but would you please just do something for me this once? No, we're praying to our Father who is bigger and more glorious than we can imagine. His glory speaks to who he is, the weightiness of his character, the weightiness of his grace, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his kindness. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that according to the riches of his glorious character, that he would work. He's not this stingy old guy up in the sky that were like, please do something. Because Paul has begun his prayer seeing God as the creator of all things who is gloriously good and gracious and great. And this is the view of God that inspires his prayer. And so as we pray, as you think about when you approach God, what view of God uh, do you have when you approach him in prayer as this stingy God who might once in a while do something if you beg him the right way or this huge view as the creator of all things, gloriously good, gracious, and great, and rich. And what does Paul ask him to do? Verse 16, he says, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul prays to the Father and asks that he do something in the lives of the Ephesians through the spirit. The spirit's been put into them and what he asked the Father to do through the Spirit is to strengthen them with power. Strengthen them how? He says, in their inner being. And then he gets more specific in verse 17. He says, so that, what do they need the strength of their inner being for? What's the purpose? It's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And in your inner being you'll find your heart, which is a very, not just the thing pumping blood, the muscle. Which it's the, this very important part of you. In the Bible, the heart is the center of of your being. Your heart is like the control center of your person. Just two verses that touch on how important the heart is. It's, it's Proverbs 4.31 is one of them. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. We've talked about in this series that God's desire is to make us sons and daughters inside and out. He doesn't want to just be, modify our behavior on the outside, but on the inside, in our heart, everything flows from it. So he wants to change our heart, first of all. Whatever's in your heart is going to drive what you do. What is in your heart is what uh, is going to flow into your life. But God promised to give his people a new heart. And we've seen that the Holy Spirit is the one 
who does this, we who have trusted in Christ, no longer have a hard heart that's resistant to God, but a heart that is able to behold the beauty, worth, and majesty of God in Jesus. We saw that in 2 Corinthians. And so picture the heart. I've used this before. I have my little grab bag of goodies here. Picture the heart like, yes, in all its glory, one of Hudson's toys. Here we go. We'll put it there eventually. But picture the heart like the driver's seat in the car. Whoever is in the driver's seat controls where the car goes, um, what the car is doing, how it turns, all that stuff. Um, And someone or something is always in the driver's seat of our life. And you think about when you're driving a car, like you don't let just don't just let anybody into the driver's seat. You that's a person you trust. That is someone you look to, you value, view them as worthy. And whatever is most important in our lives is going to be in the driver's seat of our car, I guess you could use this and say like, and it's going to dump all kinds of stuff into our life. But we'll leave that for a different day. But whatever's most important to you is what's in the driver's seat of your life. It's in your heart. It's the thing that you're beholding is beautiful and worthy um, and majestic and worthy of your praise. And it's captivating you. And it's what drives your life. You're going to be held captive to whatever captivates you. And that's what the heart is. It's this driver's seat in your life. And whatever is most important what you're going to trust in to let in there. It's going to control where you go and what you do. And the Spirit has already been given to believers. And Paul is praying that this Spirit inside of them would strengthen them so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And that's how, as we look back at the end of chapter 2, that's how we're built together into this dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is present in our lives through the Spirit when we believe. But what Paul is praying here is not that Jesus would come to their lives for the first time, but that Jesus would be dwelling in their hearts, that he would be sitting in the driver's seat, that he would be filling all of their lives. And uh, how does this happen? It says he dwell in their hearts through faith, through trust. We give Jesus greater access into our lives. We give Jesus access to more rooms and more cabinets and more levels uh, of the, in the uh, house of our life. And we trust him to dwell in all parts of it, to enter, to be present there. We let him be in the driver's seat in those situations and in all of our life to control and influence how we think, what we do, and what we say. And our big idea is ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to give Jesus limitless trust and to know Jesus' limitless love. And Paul's first prayer is for the strength to give Jesus limitless trust in the the image of Jesus dwelling in our hearts is a powerful one. That Jesus would occupy every part of our inner being is Paul's prayer. But often we can leave Jesus kind of in one specific room. You know what, Jesus, the room you have in my life is when I show up on a Sunday. Uh, or the room you have in my life is when I sit down to read my Bible for a couple minutes in the morning. Or the room you have in my life um, is when I go to some sort of church function where there's church people there. And Jesus, that's I come in to visit your room Um, at those times and then I close you off and then I go into the other rooms of my life my family, my work or whatever it is and you're not there, that's a different room of my life and we limit our trust of him we don't bring him to dwell in every room and so there's three ways we're going to imagine our life as a house where there's various rooms, so think about your schedule your schedule as being kind of the various rooms of your life as you think through your day, your week, your month, your year what rooms are there? Imagine walking through your daily routine, getting up, breakfast, working out, driving to work, and then being at work or school or taking care of kids, um, dinner time, evening. Is Jesus in the driver's seat in every single one of those rooms, in all aspects of your life? 
Are you trusting him with what happens in those times? Are you giving him access to all those times? Are you asking him to guide you, to do his will in all those rooms? Or are there some blank spots in your schedule where it's like, hey, this isn't really a spot in my schedule where Jesus is entering into. I don't think about him during that time. You can think through the week or the month or the year, and are there times in your life where you give no thought to Jesus and what he wants? And just as an example, one of these times uh, that um, I've been trying to grow in, and Katie has been helping me, and we're trying to grow together, is when I go to visit my family up north. Often it's sort of like all my spiritual practices kind of just cut off. I don't think about praying. I don't think about reading my Bible. And usually those times are I feel pretty discouraged. And it's kind of like if I look at the calendar of my life, it's like, Oh, that time around Thanksgiving when we go up and visit my family is kind of like, I'm not going to call it like a, it's kind of like a blank spot or like a black spot where it's like, oh, the light of Jesus, I don't really walk into that time, with Jesus into that time. It's like I go in, kind of forget about God, and then leave, and it's like, oh, now I'm returning to reading my Bible and praying and thinking about God. So that's an example for me. It says the schedule. Think about the places you go. These are rooms in your house. Home, work, the gym, coffee shop, the car, the store, the doctor, the park, school, or family get-togethers. If these are each a room in the house of your life, does Jesus go with you into each of them? And of course, the Spirit is with you, and so Jesus is like with you in that sense. But do you walk into those rooms trusting in Jesus and surrendering your life to him? Or are those rooms where you don't really think about him or his will for you? And lastly, think about your relationships as rooms in the house of your life. Other relationships where you aren't trusting in Jesus? Are there people you interact with where you aren't thinking about what Jesus wants, honoring him, following him? And Is there anyone that you lack love for? That's probably a relationship that is, you're not, when you open the door, you're not like, hey Jesus, what do you want me to do in this room? What do you want me to do in this relationship? And if work is what we value most, then work is what we're gonna, is gonna determine how we act in each of those situations or whatever it is that's most important to us, if it's people, what people think of us, or what, you know, whatever is most important, when we open the room, the, the door to go into that room, that's going to determine how we act. And our desire should be for Jesus to have full access to every area of our lives. Our desire should be to give him limitless trust, and let him have his way in every room of our lives, wanting to be in the driver's seat everywhere, all the time. But trust requires strength. I mean, you think about it, it's easier... To be like, you know, I'm just going to drive. I don't want to let somebody else to drive me around because then I have to trust them. They're going to get me to point A to point B. That's why some people don't fly. It's like, well, I'm not driving. I just have to sit in my seat and trust somebody else to do it. And so it takes strength to let someone else in the driver's seat. When we've been white-knuckling the steering wheel of our lives um, for all of our life or for a long time or for in a certain relationship or in a certain place or in a certain situation, we've just always been in control it takes strength to say, well, you know what, I'm going to let go, and I'm going to let Jesus in the driver's seat, and I'm going to ask, what do you want me to do here? What's your will? What's your purpose? And that's why we need to ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to give limitless trust, because it takes strength to trust somebody else. And it's actually what's more natural and actually a weaker position to say, like, I'm just going to do it myself. It takes strength to trust and sometimes we're aware of God's presence in every room of our lives, and so we do pray before we enter those rooms, but so often our requests to God are for Him to make things easier for us as we go into those rooms. Oh, it'll be easy for me as we go up north with my family. God, just make this easier for me. Like, make everyone less frustrating or less annoying or less hurtful. And so we pray for God, please just 
clear the path here for it to be easy for me. We want to make our lives easier, to remove obstacles, for our days to go well, to make our surgeries go well. And it's fine to bring those requests to God. He invites us to bring those requests to him. But if our only prayers are for God to use his strength, strength and power to do our will, then we shouldn't be surprised if we're not feeling much spiritual strength in our lives. So what if instead we prayed for his strength in us uh, to go through our lives with limitless trust in Jesus, sort of bringing his presence into every relationship, every place, every situation. And so you may be asking, well, okay, like you said, letting someone in the driver's seat, like we don't let just anybody there, why would we let Jesus into the driver's seat of our lives? Why would we give him limitless trust? And that's where the second request Paul makes speaks to this. It starts in the second half of verse 17. So this is the start of his second quest, request. It starts with that. It, in my Bible it has a little dash. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to pause and hit the button on this because it seems quite hot. I don't know what it's doing. It's, it felt, maybe it fell asleep. It was so hot it fell asleep. Oh, <laughs> So, this is his second request. And he uses two metaphors. Rooted and grounded in the first verse. Rooted is this gardening metaphor. The Ephesians have been planted in Christ's love. And grounded is this word meaning to lay a foundation. It's a building metaphor. And the Ephesians have had a foundation of love, Christ's love, laid beneath them. And so what's Paul's prayer? He asks that they would have strength to comprehend. He says the breadth, the length, the height, and depth of Christ's love. And this, this request has to do with this mental comprehension. In the, in the NIV translation, it says to grasp it. He wants them to be able to grasp the dimensions of God's love, of Christ's love for them. And then first night, teen seems to go into the experiential realm. There's this grasping it, there's just comprehending it, but then there's experiencing it. He doesn't only want them to grasp and comprehend Christ's love in like this, this mental way, like, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, that was a display of God's love, and that was awesome. But he wants there to be this, this knowing, this experiential knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I've always found that line, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses your knowing it. Jesus' love for us, by definition, is beyond our completely knowing it. You will never hit the edge or the limit of it. It's like you're swimming in this pool, and the pool has breadth and length and width and depth to it. But as you're swimming, you're just, you know, it's like one of those infinity pools or whatever that kind of has this current... Um, but I guess those have limits to it. But it's like you jump into Woodstock Waterworks and you just keep swimming. And you're like, I thought I was going to hit the edge of this thing someday. Um, and I never hit the edge of it. And you're like, well, I'm going to dive as deep as I can. You just never can get to the bottom. And it's like the pool of Christ's love never has an end that you're going to hit or a side you're going to hit or a bottom that you're going to hit. Jesus' love for us is limitless, it's unending, unrestrained, unconditional, and will never run out. You can never ask for too much of it because it's never going to run out. It's unearned, it's undeserved, so you'll never hit the limit of how much you're allowed to have, and you'll never lose it. You'll never swim to the edge of the pool of Jesus' love for you, and you'll never exhaust it. It's given unrestrained, always 
and forever. And Paul prays that the Ephesians would grasp it and they would feel it. They've been rooted in that love and he wants them to know how rich the soil is that they've been rooted in. They've been set on that foundation. He wants them to know how solid that foundation is that as you're walking through your life, you're never going to fall off the edge of the foundation of Christ's love for you. And so our big idea exploring is ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to give Jesus limitless trust and to know Jesus' limitless love. And Paul's second prayer request is for strength to know Jesus' limitless love. And if you ever... What would ever lead us to give Jesus limitless trust? Why would we ever let him in the driver's seat of our lives to take us where he wants to go to let us do what he wants to do? And it's knowing his limitless love for us that loosens our grip on the steering wheel of our own life to say, you know what, you, you love me more than I love myself. You, know, I, you will make better decisions for me than I'm going to make for myself because your love is better, it's more pure, it's bigger than my love, and you are a better person to be in this. And Jesus gives limitless love, and we give limitless trust. The limitless love he's already given leads us to give him limitless trust. And the best person to trust without limits is the person who loves you most, and that's Jesus. And it takes strength to receive love. That's why Paul prays for it. I'll give you strength to, to grasp this love, to know it. It goes beyond your knowing, and so you need your mind and your heart to be able to grasp it, to feel it, to re- and, but to receive somebody's love take strength because it's easier for us to say you know what I just don't need anybody I'm just going to wall myself off um, I don't need to trust anybody to give my life to anybody I don't need anybody to make me feel better about myself I don't need other people's love and it takes strength to go into this place of humility and say you know what I need to depend on somebody else I actually need to be loved by people and it takes strength to say that rather than to do a lone ranger the, uh, approach and as we think about letting Jesus into every room of our lives. It's like, what's the kind of person that I'm bringing with me to this room? And there's this person with limitless love for me and who wants to pour that love out through me on other people. It's letting someone uh, into that room uh, and his love into that room. So we've been talking about these rooms and you can write down or think about, uh, you know, we went through a lot of them, but what's room, one room where you usually aren't making yourself available and attentive to Jesus? one room where you don't really think about Jesus when you're in it. A place or a relationship or a time in your schedule. It's one, one room where you usually aren't making yourself available and attentive to Jesus. driver's seat when you enter those rooms. It's not Jesus who is in the driver's seat. It might just plain be you. But maybe you enter those rooms trying to please the people in them. The people in that room are in the driver's seat. You're saying, I want to give them what they want so they're happy with me, so they like me, so they affirm me. Maybe you enter those rooms trying to get what you need. I need these things from these people. I need these this from this situation. Or you want to get people to do what you want. Maybe kids or coworkers or 
parents or whoever it is, and so you want them to follow your agenda. And I'm in the driver's seat, and I want these people to do what I want, or I want them to give me what I need. Maybe you enter those rooms thinking about someone or something in other rooms. Like, okay, like work is really important to me, and I enter the room with my family, and all I'm thinking about is work and how important that is to me, and my mind isn't on my family at all. So who or what is usually in the driver's seat when you enter those rooms? And now when we have to get to a place where we're like, okay, God, I'm aware that you're going with me in this, that you uh, are with me, you want to help me. Um, and we can tend to treat God either like a genie or a magic eight ball. And so we enter that room and saying, genie, this is what I want, please do it for me. Um, or a magic eight ball, like, God, what do you want me to do? And, you know, sort of like shaking. Do people know what a magic eight ball is? Like, Caleb, you know what it is? Okay, good. I didn't know if it's lost on the new generation, but Magic 8 Ball, you shake it, it gives you little things like, definitely not, or, you know, try again, or whatever. And so we walk into the room, like, God, do you want me to X, Y, and Z? You know, we're hoping we're getting an answer, and usually that's not quite uh, how God works when we enter rooms. It's more like, you know, what would trusting me look like? What would you do if you were fully loved by me? If you had limitless love, what would you do in this, in this room? Um, so we can begin praying these two requests. You, you identified the room, begin praying these two requests when you enter that room. Ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to give Jesus limitless trust as you enter. Ask the Father for the Spirit's strength to know Jesus' limitless love as you enter. You can pray the big idea we've been going over today. Um, we, one of the things we often do is when we enter any situation in our life or any, any relationship or any um, place, we're looking for love. Um, and so we're fighting other people for love. You know, love me, give me what I need. And what Paul is saying here, man, if you could live from the limitless love that Jesus has given you, instead of fighting for it from everybody else, or fighting for it from God, and just receiving it as a gift that God's given by grace, like living from that would totally change our lives. And praying these things as we enter the rooms of our life is how we begin to cultivate a lifestyle of constant reliance on the Spirit. And many times our communication with God is very infrequent, it's short, it's one-sided, and it's pretty self-focused. Um, we have practices that are good, um, but cannot quite get us the whole way. We might pause before a meal to thank God for it, and that's a good practice. Um, but it can kind of become this ritual where it's like, okay, this is something we do, do it, eat, um, and before we go to sleep, we can make sure, okay, get all my whole to-do list sent off to God, this is what I want you to do, these are the things I'm worried about, whew, got those off, and I can go to sleep. And those are fine to cast our anxieties in God, cast our cares in God, give him our requests, but it's short and it's one-sided and self-focused if that's all that we're doing. Um, and of course, like, you know, children are, give their things to God, but eventually children mature, and instead of just saying, like, you know, Dad, do this stuff for me, eventually we begin to work with our parents and be able to actually partner with them in the work they want to do in the world. And we aren't aligning ourselves with God's will often, but we're, instead we're asking to do ours. And Years ago, second prize out of the goodie bag. This is not a prize, actually. Yeah, at the end of the at the end of the sermon, whoever paid attention the most gets this and this. 
So there you go, just getting rid of junk in our house. No, uh, this years ago I invested in. Well, now this kind of looks like that Ghostbusters crap, you know, like they throw up to get the. But this is a, a battery, rechargeable batteries. You buy them, they're a little more expensive, but then you can recharge them over the years. Years ago, I invested in this to you know, save money over the long haul. Um, but they can they drain eventually, and they get recharged, and they get to sit on the charger, put them in, they sit for like it's like eight hours or something, and then they're charged, and they can go uh, another round of doing something and powering something. And Paul uh, says in verse 19, he prays that we be filled with all the fullness of God. And we want our lives to be full of God. We want to look like Jesus. We want every room in our lives to be filled with his presence and his love. We won't, don't want to be spiritually weak and empty. We want to have spiritual strength and be filled up. And to do that, we need to visit the charger. You know, we need to come where this little battery hanging out, and the battery doesn't have power on its own. Um, it gets filled up by power, and then it has to come back uh, to the charger. And God invites us that you need my strength, you need my power, you need to come to me to be charged, to have strength, to be full of me, to live a life that's pleasing to me. Uh, but so often our practices can be something like, okay, it's time for bed. God, coming in. Got all my requests off to you and sat on the charger, go to sleep. Or we say right before a meal, okay, God, thanks for food. Woo, not now we're off to our day, but it's, we need to come, we need to sit in the charger for a longer period of time. Coming to worship gatherings, this is kind of like one of our big charge moments. You're hearing more of God's word and more songs and focusing on it more than any other time throughout your week probably and then we read our Bible and we pray and we have gospel fluency groups and gospel community times and all those are times when we're charging. And ideally we'd always be in the charger. We'd have this constant awareness of God, being available to his purposes, being attentive to him and Paul says I want you to pray without ceasing and it can feel like oh my word, I you know, pray for one minute without ceasing a day and how am I going to pray the whole day without ceasing and if I'm always talking to God, how am I going to pay attention to the person on the phone um, and I think it's more so this posture of, I'm always in conversation with you, God. You're always available. I'm always attentive to what you're wanting. And if I'm in a conversation, I can quick say, like, Father, I know you love me. You know, please help me. And little prayers like that. And Billy Graham once said that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And one way we can begin... Uh, to bring prayer and reliance on the Spirit in every part of our lives is these two words, um, triggers and transitions. And you're praying before a meal, there's a trigger there. It's like, oh, it's mealtime, I pray. And why not build other triggers into your life? When I get in the car, I pray. When I'm on my way to work, that's a trigger that tells me I'm supposed to pray. Or when I lay on bed, oh, it's time to pray. And we build these little triggers in our life. You build enough triggers in, um, you're just praying all the time. And the other is, as we're transitioning to different rooms, like, okay, I'm leaving getting ready in the morning, I'm transitioning to work, or I'm transitioning to work out, like in that transition, I'm entering a new room, God, give me the strength to have limitless trust of Jesus and to know his limitless love. And in those transitions, we can begin to cultivate this entire lifestyle of depending on God to these triggers and transitions to different rooms. So let's close where Paul closed in verses 20 and 21. After this prayer, he says, Now to him was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of work within us to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just find that amazing. All that I ask 
anything that I can think to ask God, he, Paul says he's able to do far more abundantly than whatever that is. But anything I can think or conceive of, God can do far more abundantly than all that. Paul, in this prayer, he's been praying for a church community. He's, we've been kind of focusing on individual lives because he says, you are the temple, you're being built together as a temple. Each of us, are, Peter says, is a stone in that temple. Um, and so bringing the Spirit into our lives. But he's talking to a church community. We as a church, as God's people, are being built together to God's dwelling place as a people, not just, hey, this is the temple. It's the people, as we go out, as we gather, as we do anything, we're being built uh, into a place um, where people have access to God, where people go to meet God. And when we're together, this is where we get access to God, and we can meet God and have God's presence. Each of us is a stone joined together, being built together in this dwelling place by the Spirit. And Billy Graham's quote could be easily changed to, a prayerless church is a powerless church. That's the reason we're in this series, as I realized last fall, as I shared that, I realized, I don't know if this is a strong... One of our community practices relying on the Spirit. I'm not sure that's a, a big strength. I don't didn't think it was absent, but it wasn't a big strength, and that's um, probably largely a, frec- a reflection of it being uh, not a strength in my life is because I'm not leading us in that. And I was really proud and excited about how we went through the process of discerning Crossroads Care Center is what we were going to be reaching out to um, for the next however long is that we just stopped, listened to the Spirit, and we relied on Him, and we're listening to Him, um, and we each, as individuals, need to ask God for the Spirit's strength. But the power of God and the love of God can only be fully experienced in the family of God. And God has called us as a community to be His temple, to be His dwelling place by His Spirit. The Spirit is most powerfully present when we're together. And so think about all the rooms in our life as a church family and all the things we do, um, letting Jesus come into all those and not just saying like, here's this thing we're going to do for you, God, and we just never listen to him or never rely on him or never think, you know what, this is really going to be pointless unless you are in it with us. And God is able to do far more in us and through us as a church than we can possibly imagine. And he'll do it for his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And it's all to display his greatness, his goodness, his grace through us and in us. Let's pray.